we have the opportunity now to sit in meditation together, to listen to the Dhamma. So we cultivate this quality of samadhi, peace and collectedness, to make the mind firmly established. And we set our mindfulness to focus and concentrate on our meditation object, whether it's the in and out breathing or another meditation object such as the recollection of the Buddha, the qualities of the Buddha, like the great compassion of the Lord Buddha, vast and limitless compassion without boundary, which is Apamano Buddha. The Buddha is limitless. So we recollect our meditation object. We place our mindfulness, place our recollection with our meditation object. And the benefit this brings to the mind is upajara samadhi, which we call samadhi that's close to one-pointedness. We can also call neighborhood samadhi, neighborhood concentration. So it's close to these qualities of applied thought, sustained thought, rapture, happiness, and one-pointedness. Upajara samadhi is close to these five jhanic factors. It's like when we go to enter a house, uh, jhana is the house, this absorption is the house, and we're at the entranceway, we're opening the door about to enter that house. So this upajara samadhi, it's close to absorption, close to jhana, it's about to enter one-pointedness. So we develop our meditation object, we listen to the Dhamma, we recollect Bhutto as the object of the mind. And sometimes we can't remember the teachings we've heard, but never mind about this. Because the Dhamma teachings, these Dhamma talks, we can say it's gathered together, it's all about generosity, virtue, mindfulness, collectedness, wisdom, mental cultivation having loving kindness and compassion for one another. This quality of wisdom, which is knowing the truth, knowing the truth of reality clearly, knowing the truth of conditioned formations. And when we know clearly, we can, sometimes we just know temporarily, we see clearly temporarily. And we realize freedom from suffering temporarily. This we call the Tatanga Nibbana, and this word Nibbana means coolness. At this time of year in Asia, it's very hot. And we go into the shade and coolness arises. We realize the lessening or cessation of that heat. We go to an air-conditioned room, we feel very much at ease, feel relaxed. So this is Nibbana for the physical body. Or if the body gets sick and that sickness goes away, then that's Nibbana. And in the old, olden days when they would cook rice, that rice would be done, be cool enough to eat, and that rice would be Nibbana. It would be done, it would be ready. So in order to realize the ending of heat in the heart, it's a... We can compare it to the heat of the body. We use water 
to cool off the body, showering and bathing. And in terms of the mind, we use wisdom to know things as they arise, to know the five aggregates, form, feeling, perception, formations, and sense consciousness. Venerable Ajahn Chah compared these five aggregates to a red-hot iron ball. That iron ball gets put in a hot oven and becomes red all over, thoroughly red-hot. If we touch the top, it's hot. We touch the left or right side, it's hot. We touch the bottom, it's hot. It's hot all over. So these five aggregates, this body and mind complex, wherever we cling to it, it's hot right there. So this is the problem right there, this clinging that's the cause of suffering. So we've been born already into this world. We receive suffering just like that. We don't get what we want. We get separated from that which we love. We receive that which we don't like, and we suffer right there. This is the condition or object of the mind. So we practice to know clearly, to give rise to wisdom. And this listening to Dhamma is able to give rise to wisdom in our minds. Things that we don't understand or haven't understood, we can gradually begin to understand them more and more clearly. And also while listening to Dhamma, the mind can become very bright and joyous in the Dhamma. So we see that listening to Dhamma has great benefit. It's also building the causes for the mind to know and see the Dhamma for itself. In the Buddha's time, there was a very wealthy individual named Anattapindika, the foremost male lay benefactor in the Buddhist dispensation. And he had a son who was not interested in the Dhamma because his father was very rich. So he wasn't interested to go to the monastery. He just wanted to go have fun or go on uh, fun trips. But his father was a stream enter, realized the first stage of enlightenment, and he had wisdom as well. But his child, his son, just wanted to have fun. But his father told him, well, go listen to the Dhamma at the monastery and report back to me what you learned. And so the son went to go do that. And he was promised that he would receive a sum of money if he went to go do that from his father. But when he went to the monastery to listen to the Buddha, he sat very far away. He sat as far as he could at the very edge of the crowd, just like a child in school that's not intent on their studies. They sit far away. But the son of Anattapindika, his spiritual virtues were ready, his parami was full. And the Buddha used his great powers and abilities so that everyone in the audience, no matter how far away they were, could hear the Dhamma talk clearly. This is a miracle, a miracle of psychic power that arises based on the spiritual virtues of the Buddha. So nowadays, if someone's sitting 500 meters away, they can still hear, but that's using technology. But the Buddha used the power of the mind. 
So the son of Anattapindaka listened to this teaching, he contemplated, realized stream entry. When he returned home, he told his father that he didn't want that sum of money anymore because what his father helped him receive, what his father gave him was greater than any material wealth. Because we see that this, his father, Anattapindaka, had great loving kindness and compassion in his heart. Then he had a family, had a spouse and children, he took good care of his business affairs. And he also listened to the Dhamma, practiced the Dhamma. So we see that listening to the Dhamma has great value like this. So we practice the Dhamma, we listen to the Dhamma. And there's the listening to the Dhamma, that's listening to a monk give a Dhamma talk like we're doing now. But there's another type of listening to the Dhamma, which is listening to nature, listening to the conditions that are all around us all the time. If we're able to see all materiality and mentality as impermanent suffering and not self, if we have mindfulness like this, then we're listening to the Dhamma of the Buddha all the time. Wherever we are in the world, whatever country, we're observing, we're looking and watching, observing the Dhamma all around us, seeing everything, all things like this and contemplating that whatever we cling to, whatever it is, that's where suffering will arise, like there. If we have a great amount of wealth and we cling to it, and for instance, we lose some of that wealth and then we can't find it, then we suffer. So we practice to cultivate the wisdom, the clear knowing, to see nature for what it is, to see it clearly to see that actually everything, all of our wealth, all things in the world belong to the world. Everything we have belongs to the world. All things belong to the world. Even these very bodies of ours belong to the world. These bodies were just borrowing from nature. So you can ask, well, given that, are, should we cling to the body as self because this body is something, it's a condition of the world that we use temporarily to live here. But we see that if the body doesn't get water, then the body can't live anymore, this water that comes from the world. We also take in the air, oxygen from the world for the body to live. And without that breath, then the body uh, can't survive. It's the thing that we, can't do without for the shortest amount of time. And this food, the earth element, the body takes in. And also without the heat element, the body also can't live. So all these four elements, the body's always taking in. They belong to the world. We're just borrowing them. But the mind that's lost and deluded without wisdom clings and attaches to these five aggregates of body and mind, and therefore suffers as dukkha arise. 
we cling to these conventions, we cling to the body as something that's true, something that's real. It's just like when kids play make-believe, little children playing make-believe, and they think that the fantasy they're playing in is true and real. But when adults watch those children playing, they see that there's no real essence or meaning in that play. So in this way, our minds are just like children. And it's the arhats, the fully awakened ones that understand clearly and see all the beings in this world cling to things as self. And beings that are fully awakened like this, and they teach others, just like Venerable Ajahn Chah taught that we suffer because of clinging. So we use wisdom to contemplate, to bring the mind to purity, to freedom, to freedom from clinging. And like this, the mind is light and at ease. And this wisdom arises because of samadhi, peace and collectedness, and firmly established mindfulness. Even if it's difficult sometimes, we still do it. We still practice and train every day in mindfulness and samadhi. And one who practices meditation, who sits in samadhi, sees the value of doing that, sees the drawbacks of not doing it. The drawback is the mind that's agitated and troubled, filled with doubt, the mind that's busy and distracted and chaotic, the mind that's not under control, then one also sees the value of the mind that has peace and collectedness, that has samadhi. This is a mind that has happiness within itself. This is samadhi dhamma. It's a mind with happiness and contentedness within itself. A mind firmly established has this fullness of heart, this happiness and rapture, contentedness. And this rapture can become firmly established with happiness and bliss. And we see that this happiness that arises from samadhi, it's something we've never experienced before from the world. And when this arises, then it's easy to charge the battery of the mind, to bring the battery of the mind to be full. It's like having an electric car we charge the battery to become full. So when the mind has low energy, if we've used the energy of the mind a lot, the mind lacks energy and strength because of the sense of self, seeing everything in terms of self, the energy of the mind dissipates and goes away, becomes empty. So then we enter jhana and to enter the firmly established samadhi the body and mind feel light. And then once the body and mind are light, then we're able to contemplate, to see clearly. Because we're not seeing the things that are very close to us, all the things that are close all around us, we're not seeing them because the mind is covered over with ignorance. It's very close to us, but we don't see it. It's like our eyes have a problem, or our eyes are bad. If we're short-sighted, we can't see things 
uh, close up or far-sighted, can't see things far away, or if we have a problem with the eye, perhaps there's light and there's physical form that there's not seeing because of the problem with the eye. But then if we treat the eyes and care for them and they improve, then we can use the eyes. Then there's light, there's physical form, and we're able to see it as well. This is wisdom arising in the mind. This is the light arising in the mind, the light of wisdom, which is clear knowing, clear understanding. So in order to reach this point, we have to practice and train. And if we haven't reached this point yet, then we establish ourselves firmly in virtue first, in sila. As the Lord Buddha taught to practice virtue, to have patient endurance, that if the mind's thinking and proliferating, to have virtue, to establish oneself in virtue, to control the behavior of body and speech, to bring peace to one's behavior, to be within the bounds of virtue, and to cultivate right collectedness, right mindfulness for the sake of wisdom. Because all of us here, we have the quality of generosity already full in our hearts. We've already done everything, giving to build the monastery, giving the four requisites, and so on. This is giving of physical things, this is something that's not bad, but we need to meditate as well. It's like building the chedi here at Wat Mapchan. Many people ask me, when will the chedi be completed? And I answer, oh, it's done already. It's done every day. And they ask, well, when will the celebration be? When will the uh, opening celebration of the chedi be? And I say, well, we celebrate it every day. So you can walk around the chedi 108 times or 54 times, nine times, according to one's energy and ability. So we celebrate the chedi through our offering, through our homage of practice. And we offer this and we can do this every day. This is the opening ceremony or the ceremony to celebrate the chedi. So if we don't do this effort, we don't practice, then this chedi well, it has the relics of the Buddha in it, and it's something that is meritorious, but to help build it without practicing, the mind has merit, but the merit is too little. So we have to practice, do walking meditation, practice mental cultivation, cultivate mindfulness and peace and collectedness. Because the mind that's peaceful and collected can give rise to wisdom. So we practice walking meditation, sitting meditation, cultivate mindfulness. And we see that this is something with incredible great value that brings us to the essence, to the heart of the Buddhist teachings because there's the physical objects of Buddhism, the people of Buddhism, and there's the qualities in the heart that the Buddha taught. 
So for ourselves, we have very good fortune already that we have faith in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. We set our hearts on the practice of mental cultivation. We cultivate merit of all types, every type of merit. And this practice of mental cultivation, it's something that's not easy. So the fact that we do it means that we have past spiritual virtues and past habits, past parami. So we have effort in our meditation. We study to see the drawbacks of clinging, to see the value in mindfulness, collectedness, and wisdom, to bring the mind to joy, radiance, and peace. So in terms of this online retreat that started on the 28th, going to the 29th, 30th, 31st, 1st and 2nd, so today is the last day of our online retreat together. And on this retreat, we have likely received some sense of the Dhamma. Some, or on this retreat, we've been able to increase our capacity for effort or increase our mindfulness in this way. So we keep practicing like this, and in the end, you'll be able to see and know the Dhamma for yourself. So may you grow in goodness and grow in blessings. <laughs>